Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. God bless you, Thrive. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to honor everyone who makes Sundays happen. If you are watching this Sunday morning, just shoot some hearts or some likes. Um, If you know someone that is on the worship team, on the creative team that helps make this happen, make sure you thank them for their hard work. We love them. They're amazing. I'm excited today to bring the word. We're continuing our sermon series entitled Night and Day. What we want to assure you is that whether it's night or day in your life, whether it's dark or whether it's going well and things are clear, God never changes. God is the same. This is the heart of the series, that during a time of of uncertainty, we can be sure that God never changes. His character never changes. His power never changes. And so we're focusing our attitudes, our thoughts, our hearts on this incredible part of his nature, this incredible attribute of who he is. It's more than a promise. God doesn't just promise not to change. It's his nature to not change. It's better than a promise. It's who he is. And I want to give a shout out real quick as you go in your Bibles to the book of John, and we're going to read uh, out of chapter 8. As you go there, I want to just thank Pastor Matt for doing a great job last Sunday uh, preaching on Jesus' I am statement of I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I want to thank Pastor Matt for his um, awesome and powerful message. And we're going to continue again in this series. And what we're doing is we are journeying through the book of John and focusing on the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Now, if you missed either of the last two messages, I encourage you this week sometime to go back. You can find it on YouTube and, and Facebook. We introduced the concept when of, uh, of the I am, God as the I am. When he introduces himself to Moses as Yahweh, the I am, the, the one who is self-sufficient and self-sustaining, the eternal, immutable, omnipotent God. He introduces himself to Moses. And then Jesus calls himself or he responds to questions he identifies as the I am. It was such a blatant declaration that Jewish leaders of of his time wanted to kill Christ for something they considered blasphemy, calling himself one with God, the I am, the eternal one. But Jesus meant what he said. He is God. He's always been and always will be. He was there at creation. He was there from the beginning of time. He will always be there for us. So Pastor Matt spoke on Christ's statement, I am the bread of life. And today we're going to talk about his statement, I am the light of the world. So in John chapter 8, we're going to go right to verse 12 to this statement. And then I'll give some context as we continue the message. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to read that again. You might, if you have your Bible, you might want to highlight some of the key terms. You might want to write down some of the key terms. Again, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am, that's the I am statement, 
the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, a little bit of context. You can read it for yourself there in, in chapter 8. There's this right preceding this verse, right preceding this um, particular text. There's this incredible encounter that Jesus has with some religious leaders. They were called Pharisees and a woman who was found in adultery. The understanding of the text was that she was literally caught in the act of adultery. And so they bring this woman to Jesus and their desire is to ensnare him and, and to trap him. And they ask him, what should we do with this woman? Now, if he says, well, <clears throat> according to the law, uh, she should be put to death, then they can accuse him of taking Roman authority. Only the Romans, the occupiers, had the, the right to life and death in the territory that they occupied. So they could have reported him to the Romans as someone who is usurping their authority and uh, declaring a death penalty on this woman. Or if he says, let her go, then they can accuse him to the to their fellow Jews of not being true to the law of Moses. And so this is a trap. They're trying to ensnare Jesus and they're trying to ruin his name. Now what's so cool is here's these Pharisees. Jesus is sitting in the temple. He's teaching. Here's this group of Pharisees. Here's this woman. They probably just throw her there in front of him. And they say, what should we do with this adulteress? And Jesus, twice in this passage, he, he kneels down and he begins to write on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote. We have no idea what he wrote, but he writes, he proceeds to write on the ground. And then he says this to them. He says, he who has no sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Now, what I think is Jesus could have been doing a couple things. He could have been writing the name of one of those Pharisees' mistresses right there on the ground. Or he could have written some of the laws that some of them broke just the day before. Or maybe he was writing an Old Testament text that, that declared the mercy of God. Whatever he wrote there, combined with the, with, the, uh, with the statement, whoever has sinned, go ahead and throw the first rock at this woman. It causes them to walk away. Specifically, it says, and interestingly enough, the old Pharisees, the older men, walked away first. They got the message before the younger ones. And then the woman is there, and Jesus looks up, and, and says, if no one else is going to judge you, I won't condemn you either. Go in peace. Jesus is illustrating something very powerful. And then the very next verse, this is not an accident. The very next verse, John, the writer of this gospel, introduces the I am statement that Jesus makes. I am the light of the world. Jesus brings light, understanding, perspective to our lives. And without Christ, without the God of the Bible, we walk in darkness. 
These Pharisees were clouded with the darkness of their own reputation, their own striving for power, their manipulation of a woman's sin for their own purposes. But Jesus brings light. In fact, in John chapter 1, I'll let you know that life and light are critical to John. In John chapter 1, verse 4, and following, it says, in him was life. And that life, he's referring to Christ, was the light of all mankind. The light shines. Some, someone out there say shines. Shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Verse eight, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The life that Jesus brings us brings light to our circumstances. For us believers, something dynamic happens when we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ. It isn't just head knowledge. It isn't just an ascent of faith, but something dynamic happens. We are born again. We are made new creations. Our sins are washed away. He's the lifter of our heads. He makes us the head and not the tail. He removes the darkness from our hearts and from our minds. Something powerful happens when we're given the life of Jesus Christ, when we accept his salvation. When we recognize his sacrifice and we own it and we receive it by faith, he brings a life that illuminates our circumstances. It's a light that you cannot acquire until you have his life. It is the newborn soul that gets this new light, this new perspective. We're going to talk about the attributes that this light of life brings us. But make no mistake, friend, if you're hearing this message today, the light that he gives does not come with a raise. This light does not come from a new relationship. It doesn't come from a promotion. It doesn't come from finally achieving some measure of earthly success. No, this is supernatural light. This is divine light. It only comes from God. It only comes from the life, that power, that resurrection power that enlivens us, that causes us to get up out of the ashes and and move forward. When, when, When we're desolate, when we're discouraged, when we're disappointed, when we're feeling overwhelmed, his life in us that moves us from Monday to Tuesday, then from Tuesday to Wednesday with clean hands and a pure heart, that life illuminates our path. And it eradicates the shadows that once dominated us with depression or addiction, that that oppressive darkness that that caused us to function on our own own levels and, and, and doing just our own best by our own devices and schemes. His life brings a light that shatters that darkness and leads us down new paths, paths that were always there but we weren't aware of. His life brings light. I want to give you just a few attributes of of light that we see in Scripture. The I Am, the unchanging one. Yahweh, the one true God. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. First, first, 
Without light, you cannot see. You can't see what's in front of you. You can't see what's behind you. You can't see what's lying in wait. Without light, you and I, we can't see. And so for the unregenerated heart, where we're dead in our sin, we don't have the life that brings light with it. And what are we doing? We're doing our best. We're following the patterns of this world. We're listening to the voices around us and we're trying to find our way and we bump into people and we bump into problems and we bump into hurts and then we get resentful and bitter and all twisted up inside. Why? Because we're doing our best and we're still hurting and we're still hurting others. People are hurting us and we can't get over it. We're hurting people. We can't even get over that. We can't believe that we could do such shameful, irresponsible things. Why? We're rummaging around in the dark and that's the lost soul. It doesn't matter how much money they have in their bank account. They're lost. You see it often in the news when someone who's wealthy, prestigious, and, 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 and highly achieved commits suicide or is given to addiction. And you wonder, wasn't the money enough? Wasn't the fame enough? Wasn't the big mansion enough? No, it wasn't enough. So they had to go find something else. That never-ending pit of darkness that never has a bottom until they're dead. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is life. There is no life, nor is there light apart from God. You cannot see without his light. Luke 4.8, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind. That's not just physical blindness, friend. That's bl blindness in any form. That's relational blindness. That's financial blindness. That's spiritual blindness. God wants to bring light to our eyes to see for the first time maybe. You could be 40 years old, but for the first time you'll see when you receive the life that he gives you. Because apart from him, it's shadows. Only he has the light. Can I just encourage you, friend, that in our pursuit of the will of God to look for people who have light to offer and not just anyone who will listen. We have to be careful as men, women, husbands, wives, mothers and fathers that we don't go find people who are willing to tell us what we want to hear. We want people in our lives that are going to reflect the light of Jesus Christ into the dark corners of our life, even when it's uncomfortable, because we want to do well. Because we want to be a great dad. Because we want to be a faithful wife. Because we want to be wise with what God's given us, the resources. We want to be good stewards of opportunities. And so we need to go to the right people, not people who will just tell you what you want to hear, the same old song you've heard for the first half of your life. We want to go to people who have light to shine in our hearts. Matthew chapter 15, verse 14 says, let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. 
We don't need blind guides. We don't need people in our lives that are stumbling over themselves and then making excuses. Well, that's just my personality, or it wasn't my fault, or nobody's perfect. All those kinds of things that are excuses for living in darkness. We want to go to Christ himself, and we want to go to Christ followers that have light that they reflect from the true source, Jesus Christ. Without his light, we're blind. Number two, without light, the right things cannot grow. We want good fruit, friend. We want the good stuff to grow. Plants don't grow. Fruit-bearing plants don't grow in absolute darkness. In fact, in fact I, I'm not a botanist, but I went and looked up you know, some information and I learned something new. There are a few plants that will grow in absolute darkness, but they're parasitic plants. They're attached to some other plant that is experiencing photosynthesis, some other plant that is getting light from the sun. The kinds of things that grow in the dark, you don't want. You don't want mold in your house. You, you, you don't want fungi in your house. You, you don't want, you know, those kinds of things growing that are gonna hurt you. Things that are exposed to the light have a chance to grow healthy. Only the wrong things grow in the dark. I, I even did found out something about the coronavirus, and um, and and they have done studies. In fact, there was a study done at Oxford just just a couple months ago, and according to their test, the coronavirus is uh, decimated by sunlight, especially on non-porous surfaces. So even this COVID-19 man that's got us all kind of, you know, in the blender of life, the light has something to do with curing it. See, the wrong things won't grow in the light. We have areas of our life that might be harboring life, but it's, it's life-sucking. It's, 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 it's uh, life-hindering. There's something alive in us. It's our sinful nature that's robbing and taking nutrients and taking faith and taking courage and sucking joy out of us and instead leaving us with, with woundedness or worry or animosity. We need the light of Christ to be exposed to every part of our hearts so that the right things grow and the wrong things die. We need the light of Jesus Christ, the I am. This is what was wrong with the Pharisees. Catch this. The Pharisees had a case to make according to the law. By the letter of the law, this woman, this adulteress, could be found guilty of this crime that would could potentially uh, result in capital punishment according to the letter of the law. But that's all they had was the letter of the law. In fact, they didn't, they didn't even quite have that. They also had an ulterior motive. They were looking for a reason to entrap Christ. And they didn't care whether they were gonna throw a rock at this woman or not. All this woman was, was a ploy. They were opportunists and they seized on this woman's sin, real sin, true sin, grave sin, like vultures for their own benefit. They had the form of religion 
but they denied its power. They did not have the light of God's word shining in their hearts or else they would have never done such a thing. They would have never tried to ensnare Christ. They would have never humiliated this woman if they would have had the light of God in their hearts. We don't need the wrong things to grow. We need the right things to grow. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We're gonna look at that verse again. Put aside the deeds of darkness. We got some deeds of darkness we need to set aside. We might have in some parts of our lives the form of religion. It's whitewashed gravestones, whitewashed sepulchers. But inside, there hasn't been light in a long time. So we have the words and we have the posture and we can quote scripture just like the Pharisees. But there's no love, there's no warmth. Why? Because maybe a part of our hearts has been encased in darkness. We've covered it up and not allowed the light of Christ to come and burn away pride, burn away fear, burn away insecurity, kill the bacteria that steals our joy and peace and perspective. The light of Christ is necessary for us to see and for us to grow the right way. Number three, without light, you grow cold, cold. Now, I want, I want you to see this. In the time of Christ, if there was light, there was heat. The only light they had was the sun or a fire that they would start. There wasn't artificial light like we have here. It was there, where there was light, there was heat. In fact, in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 26, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will become clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone, that cold heart, and give you a heart of flesh. The light of God warms our hearts. The light of God lets the blood flow spiritually, lets the blood flow emotionally healthy. The, 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 the light of God makes us compassionate and merciful and empathetic. The, 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 the warmth of God melts our, our self-preservation uh, instincts and it makes us open. It makes us useful. It makes us soft in the ways we need to be soft, compassionate, kind, generous. Without the light of God, there is coldness in our lives. There is no, there, it, it, it's an artificial fake light that we found a way to fake. It, 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 it's a, um, it, it's a, a light that we just simply try to conjure up out of being kind of polite every now and then. That does not last. We need the transforming work of the light of God in order for us to genuinely care, love others. The light of God take, will take the coldness out of your marriage. 
The light of God will take the coldness out of your relationship with your parents. The light of God will melt your pride and make you merciful. It'll help you to forgive other people. The, the, the trespasses that others have committed against you that have caused layers of rock to form. His light will melt those away so that you can show compassion, so that you can forgive, so that you can move on and not help be held back, not be frozen in the time of your offense. There are believers, good believers, that are going to heaven who have parts of their lives that are frozen because of hurt and guilt. They're, they're, they feel resentment. We need the light of God to melt those parts of us that are frozen in time and allow us to move again the way we were designed to move, the way we're called to move, the way that we were created to move. Without his light, we're cold. Number four, without light, there is no perspective. Look at that. Write that down somewhere. Without light, there is no perspective. See, his light, I hope you're following me today, his light reveals our lostness and how to get out. His light, I'll say it again, his light gives us perspective. So it shines on us and it, see, it reveals to us just how lost we are, but also the way out. In Christ's Sermon on the Mount, as he begins his message and he speaks to the Beatitudes in, verses, in chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, look at that verse there on the screen for a minute. How can the blessed, how can it be blessed to be poor or contrite? How can it be blessed for us to grieve? What Christ is teaching there is when his light shines, we recognize how lost, how fallen, how bankrupt, how, how morally depraved, how arrogant, how, how uh, unwise or foolish we have been. And it stirs in us a contrition, repentance. It shows us we should be sorry. It shows us there were no excuses. We made the decisions that we made and we must own and that we're never good enough to be welcomed into heaven on our own merit. Why is it blessed? Because that perspective leads us to repentance. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? They get heaven. You don't get heaven without first being poor in spirit. Why is it blessed to grieve? Because we're comforted by the loving mercy of almighty, pure, perfect God. His light reveals our corruption and the way out is faith in Jesus Christ. Without his light, we're fooling ourselves with false light with, with counterfeit light, artificial light. It doesn't have warmth. It doesn't grow things. It doesn't make us well. But we fool ourselves by comparing ourselves to whoever we can find that's maybe a little worse than us instead of comparing ourselves to the one who's perfect and recognizing we could never talk to him 
except for his grace. The light of Christ gives us perspective. Isaiah 9-2, beautiful, powerful passage that is prophesying the coming of the Messiah, says the people were walking in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then 1 John chapter 2, again, John writes this, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because of the darkness that has blinded his eyes. We don't know which way to go. We just make it up. We see something on TV. We read some article. Some pop culture personality tells us something and we try it and it renders us with failure It leaves us less than how we started, more disenchanted than ever before, because it was artificial light. The light of Christ gives us true perspective. Number five, and we're almost done, is that without light, things stay hidden. Things stay hidden. And when we need exposure, when we need the veil torn, When we need true healing, it requires things to be exposed, be uncovered. There are things in our lives, including your pastor, that I put band-aids over emotionally. I put band-aids over mentally. I pretended like something wasn't wrong. Some things weren't wrong. Some things didn't really hurt me. Some things didn't really bother me. Instead of exposing it to the light, instead of allowing the surgery of the Word of God, instead of admitting that I either had failed or someone had failed me. Instead, covering it up with religiosity and politeness and and a congenial personality. Instead of letting God get to the root. It takes courage to expose those most sensitive parts of you to the truth. But it is the only way to wellness. It's the only way to health. No band-aids, no quick fixes, but true discovery of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. John chapter 3, 19 through 20. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. This is the story, that scripture there. That's the story. That's the description or the definition of the person who would rather stay sick than get well. That would rather pretend everything's they got everything together than to actually start the process of getting things together. We don't have to stay in darkness. We need, if we've been defensive, if we've protected, defended parts of us that were in the dark, we have to own it. We have to confess it. We have to get poor in spirit. We have to grieve and allow his light to heal, to uncover and unmask the pretenses, the falsehoods, and make us the genuine thing, healthy from within, well from within. Humble, humble, because although we're getting it together, 
all glory belongs to God and his light that has shown us the way. I'm going to end with this. What do we do? How do we walk in the light? The admonition, friend, is to walk in the light. Write that down. Walk in the light. See, this is a choice. I put a big old exclamation point on it. This is an exhortation. This is an a, 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 a imperative statement. We got to walk in the light. We got to do this. And this is your choice. This isn't something that happens to you. You don't need your parents to have gotten it together for you to do this. You don't even need your spouse to get it together for you to do this. You don't need all your ducks in a row to do this. You don't need to have enough money in the bank to do this. This is a choice that you and I make right here on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. It's a daily choice. Walk in the light. First John, again, the same writer of the Gospel of John, he continues this theme later in his ministry, and he writes in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, read it with me, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Isn't the word of God just like right there? It's good. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I want to give you 10, we're going to make it quick, 10 ways to walk in the light. I'm not going to go into them deep. I'm just going to give them to you one at a time. Write them down, replay this, write them down if you miss it, but contemplate on how you can live out these 10 things. Number one, is repentance. We need to repent. We need to confess our sin. And it isn't just saying sorry, friend. It's I'm going this way and now I'm going to go this way. It's a U-turn in your life. Number two, practice humility. I don't got it all together. You don't got it all together. Be humble. Can I tell you that if we exercise humility, if we choose the posture of humility, all kinds of things are going to go away, are going to fall off of us. Uh, uh, concern for ourselves will fall off of us. Entitlement will fall off of us. If we stay humble, we're going to be so much harder to offend. So many ugly things will fall off and life will come to you. Number three, meditate. Meditate. What I mean by that is be mindful of God. Go about your day with an, with an attitude mentally of meditation, contemplating who he is. See him. The pure in heart shall see God, Jesus says there in Matthew 5. Begin to see him. Begin to have your eyes attuned to his movements. Begin to attune your ears to his voice. Meditate. Be thoughtful of him. Number four, pray diligently. We have to be people who practice a life of prayer. We have to confer with him. We need to consult with him. We need to uh, ask for his wisdom. We need to uh, proclaim our failures. We need to also proclaim our confidence in him. The next one is be generous. This is how we walk in the light. We're trusting him. We choose to walk in the light and trust him, which means we can be generous with our finances. We can be generous with our attention. We can be generous with our uh, commendations. We can help make room for others in our lives. 
We can help someone else to succeed. Being generous is a way to walk in the light. The next one is forgive. Forgive others who have hurt you. This is a process, we could do a whole message on it, but let me just tell you, every day, you know someone's hurt you, and it could have been 19 years ago. Today, choose to forgive them, and you pray, Lord, I forgive so-and-so. Tomorrow, you intentionally pray for that person. Lord, I pray a blessing on him, and I forgive him, because every day we'll have to exercise this forgiveness until finally it no longer owns you and you really mean it when you say you forgive them. Next is to memorize scripture. Don't just read it, but hide it in your hearts. David said, I have hidden your word in my hearts, in my heart, so that I might not sin against you. Hide the word in your heart. Number Eight is worship consistently and personally. You don't need Pastor Marigold, Pastor Juan. Just put on your worship CD, put on some music and worship him. Go about your day with a song in your heart. Sing hymns to him, all types of spiritual songs. Paul writes, make up your own. The kids love it when I do that. Just make up your own worship song to him. Don't matter if you can't sing on tune. Just have an attitude of worship. Nine, be in community. This is how you walk in the light is be in community with other believers, other like-minded people, like-faith people, people who have light to offer you. Be in community through Thrive Group. Show up to a drive-in Sunday service. Connect with a brother or sister that you know has good fruit in their lives and let them share wisdom with you. The last one is testify to, to the goodness of God. We say something often here. I'm gonna say it now. God is good and you say... And I say all the time, and you say, that's a testimony. Testify to the goodness of God. Testify to your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. Testify to your children and your parents. Declare the good news. It's a reminder, two things. One, it reminds you he is good. He is always good. And second, it identifies you as a person who is striving to live in the light. And that's a good thing that we make it known, this is who I am. I believe in Christ. So family, in these ever-changing times, in this tumultuous season, he is the I am. He's the self-sufficient, self-sustaining, eternal, omniscient, immutable God. You can count on him, his light. You don't need to feed his light. You don't need to fan his flame. You don't need to feed that fire. He keeps the light shining on all those who welcome his life into their lives. Look to him, embrace him, pray to the God of lights. I love you, family. We are here to serve you, and I hope you have a blessed Sunday. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.